Welcome to episode 37 of The Case Against with Gary Meese. I'm going to look today at uh, the question of uh, Jesse Miskelly's IQ. And if I am heard coughing, uh, as I've been known to do during a, a podcast, Don't be concerned. I don't think you can catch coronavirus by listening to a podcast. Briefly, most of you will already know this, but Jesse Miskelly Jr. was one of three uh, teenagers who were convicted of killing uh, three eight-year-olds in West Memphis, Arkansas back in they were convic- he was convicted in 1994 um, the bodies of Christopher Byers Michael Moore and Stevie Branch were found on May 6th 1993 in a wooded area in West Memphis um, they had gone missing the night before uh, the other uh, men convicted in the uh, Killings were Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. And uh, in my book, uh, Where the Monsters Go, uh, the title of the chapter that that I'm going to be reading from is called, it's taken from quotes from Mike Allen, who was a detective with West Memphis Police Department at the time. He's now the sheriff of Crittenden County, but Mike Allen said, he could understand everything I was telling him and was responding back and didn't appear to be, didn't appear to be slow, no. Jesse Miskelly has been described as borderline mentally disabled, defined as possessing an IQ roughly between 70 and 85. With an IQ slightly above 70, his mental age overall was roughly that of a 12-year-old. His academic abilities were much lower, hence the misleading descriptions of him having the mind of a small child. Test administered to Miskelly before and after the 1993 arrest had his IQ in the 72 to 74 range. 72 IQ scores in the low range are normal. Mild mental retardation is in the 60 to 69 range. An IQ of 72 is neither abnormal nor highly unusual. The average age, the average IQ in at least eight nations is below 70. In other words, there are whole nations that are less intelligent than. Jesse Miskelly Jr. And if you don't believe me, just go check it. Check it out. It's an interesting list. Anyway, for context, a person with a 55 IQ would be considered to have a mild intellectual deficiency. A person with moderate intellectual disability would have an IQ of roughly 40. One study, that's a lot lower than Jesse Miskelly Jr. 
Uh, one study found the average IQ of chronic adult offenders was 85. Other studies have found median IQs of chronic offenders in the 75 to 76 range. Among the key scientific facts about IQ tests is that they have a margin of error. They measure intelligence within a range, not a hard and fast number. Social Security disability benefits, for example, are available to those with an IQ below 60. But for those in the 60 to 70 range, available benefits will be somewhat dependent upon functional activities, such as the ability to care for oneself, engage socially, and finish tasks. Muskelly would not have qualified for such benefits at a 72 IQ. Arkansas state law also restricts a presumption of mental retardation to those with an IQ of 65 or lower. Intelligence also, as I've already mentioned here, but we'll go over it again, intelligence also can be roughly measured by how someone is functioning. Miskelly's lifestyle was not that of a mentally handicapped person dependent on adult oversight. He was going to work, managing relationships with girlfriends, babysitting for neighbors, hanging out with friends, negotiating deals, sleeping away from home much of the time, etc. When he wanted whiskey, despite being underage, getting someone to buy a bottle posed no challenge. He got Vicki Hutchison to do that very thing the day he killed these three boys. His sociability, though rough-edged, brought a string of defense witnesses wearing yellow ribbons of support who attempted to supply him with an alibi. In other words, despite the fact that he was something of a bully and a thug, he was also popular in the trailer park. Taped conversations demonstrated his ability to interact with others, often in a joking manner. And you can see this even in the Paradise lost uh, movies where he you can see him interacting with people he doesn't he never gives the appearance of being someone highly intelligent or even particularly intelligent but he's not somebody who just is just sitting there with a vacant look on his face that has nothing to say now that would be me i would be the guy, i would be that guy uh He showed a degree of self-awareness that required some intelligence and more street smarts than a moderately mentally handicapped person leading a sheltered life would display. While Miskelly's deficiencies showed up on IQ tests, they were not self-evident. His demeanor and manner of speaking were typical of many in the Arkansas Delta. And I, you know, I... I have to say, you know, I worked in, in that area, and it's true. There's nothing about Jesse Miskelly Jr. that would have made me think he was different than a lot of the other guys I would encounter at the convenience store or at McDonald's or at the Walmart. Defense attorney Dan Stidham later asked Mike Allen, who brought Miss Kelly in for questioning, did you know he was slow or mentally deficient in any form or fashion? 
And Mike Allen replied, in my opinion, he was. He could understand everything I was telling him and was responding back and didn't appear to be didn't appear to be slow, no. In other words, Mike Allen, who didn't know Miss Skelly, he knew his father, Jesse, Big Jesse, knew little Jesse, he knew other members of the family. So he was somewhat familiar with them. He simply had no idea, based on what he was perceiving, that Miskelly would be somebody who would be particularly slow. Of course, Mike Allen was dealing with a lot of these other offenders who were in the 72 to 76 range or the chronic offenders with the 85 IQ. In other words, when you're dealing with the criminal elements, you're, not off, you're usually not dealing with the most intelligent members of society. In two earlier IQ tests, Ms. Kelly's performance score had been higher, 84 and 88. In a test from 1993, his performance score was 75. So Miskelly tested low average in performance IQ, which involves conceptualization on nonverbal tasks such as auto mechanics or puzzles. In other words, Miskelly is described as being, you know, functionally illiterate, which even you can see the movies, he can read and he can write. He can't do it well, but he, he can do it. He wrote a letter to his uh, father from jail very soon after he was uh, arrested. That was That's available in, uh, on Calhan, mysite.com, that you can read. And, you know, it's not the most literate letter ever, but it's... It is a letter, and it was written by somebody who was able to read and write, if not well. Um, Dr. William Wilkins, a Jonesboro psychologist who offered his services to the cash-strapped defense, also had administered an M MPI-2 test to Ms. Kelly around the same time as the IQ test in preparation for the trial. In that test, which measured personality traits, Miskelly registered a very high level for malingering. A result, a result misreported in Wilkins' report, but brought out in cross-examination trial, Dr. Wilkins testified Miskelly was aware that test results could have an impact on his case. In other words, Miskelly had an incentive to malinger to make his IQ look less than what it was. And he's not intelligent, but he was smart enough to understand that. However, his full-scale IQ results from tests in 1989 and 1992 and in preparation for trial were 74, 73, and 72 respectively, and so were consistent. In other words, he may have tried a little bit, but he didn't try hard enough, uh, and he's never tested high on any of his IQ tests. In fact, he had tested at 67 in 1983, which was still slightly above the state legal standard for mental retardation.
Dr. Wilkins found that Miskelly was highly suggestible and limited in his ability to handle abstract concepts. Testing found that Miskelly was functioning at the at the, about the level of a seven or eight year old on some conceptual task, but was capable of determining right from wrong on straightforward moral questions. Many of the results of the test were, quote, fairly normal and common, unquote. Despite Miskelly's history of violence, there was no indication of psychopathology. Wilkins offered other insights into the Miskelly psyche. To quote from him, Jesse comes from a family system that has a fair amount of alcohol abuse and some child abuse as well. When we look at abusing families, one of the things we see a lot of is what's called codependency. And by codependency, we're talking about people in the system taking responsibility for other people's action, other people's feelings. Well, Wilkins went on to try to build a case that Miskelly confessed because his codependency led him to try to please his, his questioners. Wilkins had some diagnoses and they were adjustment disorder with depressed mood, which is about what would be expected given his circumstances at the time of the testing, the doctor opined. Psychoactive substance abuse, and this was related to Miskelly's extensive and long-term abuse of alcohol, marijuana, and gasoline, huff, gasoline huffing. Wilkins told the court, quote, he related to me that particularly from about age 13 to 15 or so, he huffed gas regularly on a pretty regular basis, almost daily. He also had used alcohol and also had experimented with other drugs, particularly marijuana. Also, among the other diagnoses, is borderline intellectual functioning. Miskelly was of low intelligence, though not retarded. And developmental disorder, his reading and writing abilities were well below normal. The education level was that of a second or third grader. Now, Dr. Wilkins turned into an embarrassment for the defense, as the prosecution revealed. He'd been threatened with the loss of his license for violating professional standards by asking a boy to drop his pants to look for a birthmark. Uh, Dr. Wilkins made light of the matter, matter, but his license was pulled soon after the trial. Testimony from the defense experts mostly was aimed at building a case for false confession. The defense also attempted to discredit the polygraph exam that found Miskelly was lying. Uh, defense attorney Dan Stidham hoped testimony from Warren Holmes, a homicide detective with extensive polygraph experience, would cast doubt on the West Memphis Police Department results. Because the polygraph results were not admissible at trial, Judge David Burnett ruled Holmes could only testify as to whether the results could induce someone to say something that he would not otherwise tell police, which was manifestly true. In other words, if I get results back from a polygraph and indicates I'm lying, not always, but often, 
may, perhaps, certainly sometimes, I would, I or whoever the police are talking to, who's ever being interrogated, might say something different than what I would have said otherwise. Pretty obvious. That's what Warren Holmes would have been able to testify to. Ultimately, Holmes was allowed to give his critique outside the presence of the jury as part of the defense attempt to build a record for appeal. He did testify briefly to the jury on general matters to not much effect. Also of little effect was testimony from Dr. Richard Offshee, uh, a professor from, of sociology at the University of California at Berkeley considered to be an expert on false confessions. He's kind of a big name in that field. Dr. Oshie believed Miskelly's confession had been coerced, but the jury heard little of his analysis as the judge refused to let him opine on whether the confession was voluntary. They did hear him testify that there was no evidence that Miskelly had been threatened by the police or that police had yelled at him or otherwise applied undue pressure. They also heard examples of leading questions, and there are some leading questions in the confession. And uh, Dr. Oshie gave more extensive testimony on police coercion outside the presence of the jury for the appeal record. However, you know, he did not find that the police, he did not find that the police, that the police had threatened Miskelly, yelled at him, and applied undue pressure. Uh, he did believe it had been coerced, and he's entitled to his opinion. And hopefully, I'm, my intention is with, since Mr. Coronavirus seems to be intent on taking away most of my other activities and leaving me with more free time at home than I usually have, which is fine with me, honestly. Uh, I'm going to be stepping up my schedule of podcast on this uh, West Memphis 3 case. Because I do intend to wrap it, I don't have infinite amounts of material, and I do intend to wrap it up someday. And so, expect to hear back from me soon with another episode. I'm not going to make a promise that I'll have one out tomorrow, though I may well have one out tomorrow. But my intention is certainly to step it, step up production of these episodes and uh, wishing you all well uh, enjoy your self-isolation extreme social distancing I know I am and uh, I'll talk to you again soon bye